The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout. I am the CMO of W2O Group, and uh, I am the host of the What to Know podcast show. I'm sitting here with Jennifer Farmer, uh, Managing Director of Communications for, this is the one thing I meant to check with you, PICO or PICO National? PICO, okay. Uh, National Network, and uh, also upcoming book author, or I should say she's a book author. It's going to be published this summer because you've already done the the hard work. Um, we're at the uh, Strategic Comm Summit that uh, Bob Grupp runs, and Jennifer just did a talk on speaking out on social issues, the power of language. And we were just having an interesting pre-conversation about the construct and framework she was using, and then before her, or two speakers before her, was Brad Parscale, who was the digital director uh, for Trump. So very different sides of the coin once you get to know Jennifer a little bit. But I think we were both nodding that you can be objective, and if people have frameworks and sort of tools and approaches they use, irrespective of ideology, you can actually have a civilized dialogue. Uh, you've been making your mark in social justice, justice movements for 15 years, and I guess let's talk a little bit about um, that, and I think you did some work with former Ohio Governor Ted Strickland. So let's let's talk about sort of the lead up to that and what took you down this path. How did you start to work with um, Governor Strickland? And then let's talk a little bit about the, the current. So um, so my career really started, um, I was actually a recruiter for a software development firm, uh, and I was doing that work, but I studied English and political science in college, and um, uh, I eventually went to work for the Ohio Senate. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I went to work for the Ohio Senate, uh, also worked in the Ohio House of Representatives. And I, I loved being in the political environment, but I wanted to, to work for a social justice, uh, a mission-driven entity. So from there, I went to lead communications for Lutheran Social Services of Central Ohio and really stayed with that for several years and then decided that I kind of missed politics. <laughs> and so I made a transition back uh, into politics, uh, or at least political communications and leading communications for the Service Employees International Union. And it was there that I would say that I really cut my teeth and learned foundational communications principles. And so throughout my career, I found myself at the, the heart of various social justice campaigns. One of the first one was for something called Tabor, and Tabor stands for the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Are you, you're shaking your head. Are you familiar with it? I am it? familiar with it. Yeah. And so when I was in Ohio, the labor union I worked for ran a campaign to oppose Tabor in Ohio. And so I worked on that campaign. I worked on uh, collective bargaining uh, camp communications campaigns. And that was really about humanizing the worker and showing the community um, how we really undervalue. We talk a lot about caring for teachers and caring for nursing home workers. But if you look at salary, and benefits, what we found is that, you know, these professions are really undervalued in terms of what we're willing to invest in them. And so um, what has been uh, pretty remarkable and fulfilling for me is being able to tell stories and, and tell stories, illuminate stories of people who are doing incredible work, leading incredible campaigns, but they don't have huge budgets. And so you don't always hear about them. And so what I've tried to do throughout the course of my career is really put a face on pain, put a face on suffering, and and to empower um, 
uh, marginalized communities by telling their story, giving them the tools to tell their stories. And of course, it's using communications to do that. And so I've, uh, I've lived and worked in Ohio, in Nevada, I actually did some work in addition to working on Governor Strickland's um, campaign and in, in his administration. I've uh, worked for President Obama uh, as a regional I've heard of that guy. Yeah, as a regional communications uh, director in Nevada. And so, you know, so lived in Ohio, Nevada, Virginia, so kind of all over, and also New York. So one of the things I do want to talk about, which relates to your talk, and this does get away from the politics, not that, you know, we can't talk about politics, but back to the conversation about Brad and sort of learning these tools. And I've, I've been someone that's always been struck by the power of language. I've worked with a couple of executive coaches that really had made me aware of just how powerful that is. And you did this talk, as I mentioned, the speaking out on social issues, the power of language. So you sort of brought the two sides together, you know, what you do for your day job, but really these ways of looking at things, this context that people, I think, don't normally always sort of consider. And I know one of the things that you talked about um, you know, the steps that we need to take to address this. And so you talked about providing context and I'll let you rewind a little bit, you know, uh, being careful of IDing people based on their condition, uh, being sensible to sensitive to who's in the room. But you really talked about sort of creating words around people that made them others. I think that's the way you uh, yeah, position so it. So the way that our, our, our brains work is uh, we take in information. A lot of times the information we take in or the cues that we're taking in, it happens on a subconscious basis. We're not always aware of how what we're watching, what we're hearing, what we're reading, how that is impacting our perceptions of others. And what I found in the social justice campaigns that I've worked on is that in order to, to, to pass a policy, you have to build sympathy for that policy. You have to build sympathy for the people who are impacted. So you have to lead with the heart rather than the head. It's a mistake to think that facts move people. Facts do not move people. Um, being able to relate to someone moves people. Unfortunately, what happens with our language is, and this happens on a conscious level, it also happens on a subconscious level, is um, if we aren't careful, we will other people based on their condition or just based on their status in life. And when I say other, um, we use words that... Uh, You're that saying that as a verb, by the way. You're othering somebody, othering you're someone, putting absolutely. them in a separate category right. that's not relatable to you. Right. And uh, to you and also maybe anyone who who looks like you or who has a, an experience similar to you. And when I say othering, this happens on a subconscious level. And sometimes, uh, so like the word felon, felon conjures up many, many images. And sometimes those images, oftentimes those images are not helpful. So when you hear the word felon, you you may think, okay, someone who has a who is a habitual um, who is a habitual problem. You don't just get to felon without making serious mistakes, someone who could be dangerous, uh, someone who has done something really, really bad. And when you hear that, you know, when you hear that, that word, uh, if you don't know anyone who uh, has a felony conviction, if you have not had experience with the criminal justice system, you begin to put that person in another category. And again, this happens so quick, a lot of times we're not even aware of it. Uh, even the word thug. Um, thug conjures up certain images. Uh, earlier in our presentation, I talked about Medicaid mother. I'm reading this, uh, this report called Three Key Years. And the author talks about the importance of investing in, uh, in our children from birth to age three, and he talked about women with lack of resources, and he called them Medicaid mothers. And I thought that was an interesting choice of language because it described the mothers based on their condition and life that can change. And none of us want to be described based on something that is fluid or based on something that we are, you know, 
particularly not proud about or proud of. And so this othering in the language, a lot of times what happens is we are short on time. And in the context of reporters or the media, um, you know, reporters have only so many words that they can fit into an article. And so they're trying to find a very concise way of saying something. And then you and I also suffer with that too, is or not, not suffer, but we experience that trying to say things in the most, um, word efficient way possible trying to use as few words as possible but then we also need to be mindful of okay are we are we labeling someone based on their condition uh and the in our way to shorten language and to get to the point quickly are we othering you know someone who is different with us different from us that kind of thing so i couldn't agree more by the way and it is interesting i, I guess um making this pragmatic for businesses. I think there's two use cases. One is the language you use internally, so communicating with your employees. And then the other you touched on a little bit, but it's communicating with external stakeholders, right? Media or whatever. So um, maybe some thoughts, and I gave a few of your punchlines away, but what are some of the things, you know, as you're giving these talks that you suggest to people to help not other folks and, you know, obviously find that balance between the being as efficient as possible with words, but at the same time, not putting someone into a category that alienates them, even though you may not be intending to do that. Right. I think the first thing is to be aware of your privilege. And uh, there are many different forms of privilege. There is positional privilege that has to do with the, uh, the, the role that you, that you have in an organization and in a position of authority. There's uh, ability, and depending on your ability, that could be a privilege. There's, uh, there's class privilege, so being aware of your privilege. And if you are contemplating how to present information, uh, it is very important that you find people who don't have the same privilege that you that you have because they can tell you how different words and phrases might impact different groups. And so the first thing in terms of being very careful about our language is to is to be aware of our privilege and then to be intentional about navigating around our, our privilege. Um, I think it's also important to ensure diversity, uh, diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity in gender, uh, racial diversity. If you are working on a policy uh, for young people, you know, valuing diversity means that you have young people who are part of that conversation. Being aware of your privilege uh, would necess necessitate that you have young people who are part of the conversation who are guiding it. And so in thinking about language, I think privilege is really important, creating space for diversity, being intentional about finding people who are different from you. And, you know, when I talk about diversity, you can have racial diversity, but still have people maybe who all work, all came, you know, all studied at Ivy League schools, um, who all came from a similar region of the United States, of the country. And so that's going to, I mean, you have diversity in one area, but you haven't ensured diversity of uh, perspective or uh, diversity of, you know, geography, that kind of thing. And so I think really digging deep on diversity is really, really important. And I also talked about nothing for us without without us. And again, that goes back to this this notion of being intentional about you know who a policy is designed to help. And when you're communicating about that and making sure that 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 the impacted people are a part of shaping the language. We also talked about internal versus external communications. And one thing that communicators 
um, you know, can relate to is a lot of times we receive dense information and we're charged with translating that dense information, not only internally, but also externally. And so uh, it's thinking about, okay, this may be factually correct, saying it this way, but will people understand it? And also what are the unintended consequences of the language that we're using? So I want to transition that to your book. So one thing I didn't mention, I think, is that you're also the founder of something called Spotlight PR. So I'm assuming that means you work with uh, other stakeholders on their PR. And the name of your book, which should be telling, is Extraordinary PR, Ordinary Budget, which I think someone actually has a session or we've, there's been some talk about that where there are a lot of companies that want to do good PR. They want to be great communicators. They don't have a ton of budget to do it with. And so they end up cutting corners or sort of thinking like, oh, I, I can't afford a big agency to help me do this. I'm going to throw my hands up in the air and give up or I'm going to hire someone and just accept subpar results. I'm assuming that helps them so, with this. So I wrote extra, Extraordinary PR, Ordinary Budget for the um, the people and the companies that you just described, for small businesses, for, for campaigns, for grassroots leaders who have big ideas but who have very little resources to make that happen. And the book offers case studies on successful PR campaigns that were ran with very little resources. It offers tips on how to generate favorable media coverage without having having a big, uh, a big budget. And, and there are four key principles that I focus on when you don't have many resources. One is being uh, creative, being creative in how you capture the attention of the media. It's absolutely essential for all of us, especially if you don't have a paid media budget to be creative. I talk about being credible. You know, once you get the attention of the media, you don't want to embarrass yourselves. So you want to be credible. You want to, you know, make sure that you have appropriate experts to speak with the media. I also talk about being relentless and for a lot of our campaigns, you know, it takes time to uh, to build favorable coverage. It doesn't happen after that first press release, after that first event. You have to be in it for the long run. And so I give examples of um, uh, successful media or communications outcomes that only came by being relentless. One example that I talk about in the book was I was working with the Reverend Dr. Uh, William Barber of the North Carolina State Conference of the NAACP, and uh, it took about a year, maybe a year and a half, for me to get him on Bill Maher's show. And, and so when I talk about being relentless, it's not taking no for an answer, but it's also being persistent. I believe Bill Maher's booking producer reached out to us uh, one, I think it was in May of 2013. He didn't go on the show until July of 2014. And so it's just continuing to share information, continuing to plant seeds, not going away, you know, not being a stalker, but not going away. Um, so I talk about being relentless, and I also talk about being responsive to media requests. And so that book is a how-to manual, extraordinary PR, ordinary budget. And even though you know there are some companies who have paid media budgets, the book still has foundational principles that a lot of us know, but there there are helpful reminders of things that we should be doing to set ourselves apart. There's a section on crisis communications, that kind of thing. And so I, I wrote the book as a resource. And I'm going to guess that even though you targeted them at folks with smaller budgets, small business, you know, campaigns, grassroots, there's probably a lot of goodness there where if you applied that to a bigger company, it would Absolutely. also work. 
Absolutely. And I, you know, I thought of small businesses and organizations because that is where I've spent the bulk of my career is working with these grassroots groups. And, and so, um, so my heart was really with, uh, with them, but a lot of the communications principles that I discuss, you know, they're, they, they are universal and they are tips that can help anyone. Again, whether you have a large budget, um, you still have to be, you still have to be credible. And so I talked about some, uh, some pretty, um, uh, notable PR crises that have happened over the past six months. I talked about what happened with the seminary school in the South. I talked about the Pepsi commercial. And so this whole notion of being credible, it's a principle that applies whether you have a large budget or whether you don't. And so while the book is written with the small organization in mind, it absolutely applies to those with larger budgets. So let's shift gears. Speaking of books, um, and I, I love that, and I'm looking forward to actually getting a copy of the book so I can read it and uh, learn how to do all these things like a pro. Um, I like to ask my guests, you know, what what books have you read recently or are reading that, you know, as, as our guests, our listeners are li- uh, building their libraries? So one, is there anything that you've been reading that you'd like to share? And two, I also like to ask, you know, who's influenced you? Who's inspired you? Has there been a person so that, you know, people love to get that perspective? Sometimes it's an uncle. Sometimes it's a colleague. Sometimes it's someone that's, you know, well-known in society. Sure. And so the books uh, that I'm going to share are also authored by people who have inspired me. I like that. A double twofer, as they call it. A twofer, absolutely. So one book that I read several years ago, and I will occasionally go back to it, uh, is a book called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. Yes, I know of it. Okay. Great book. Uh, Bright orange cover. I love the book because it talks about the importance of being intentional about building genuine relationships. And in PR, I never want to be a transactional communicator where I'm only reaching out to you when I need something. I want to build deep relationships, not just with reporters and the media, but also with the campaigns that I am working with. What I found in my experience is that people will only take my advice if they trust me. And how do you trust someone if you don't take time to get to know them? So I love the book Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, and and he inspires me. I also... read this book last year, but it's called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And uh, Brian Stevenson also inspires me. Brian Stevenson runs the Equal Justice Initiative in Alabama. And the Equal Justice Initiative really pays attention to a segment of our society that, that, that many people overlook or don't look at at all. And it's people who are incarcerated. Um, and more specifically, people who are on death row. And his book talks about, you know, how America is really, has really turned into a crime and punishment society where we, we don't always, we say that we value second chances, but we're very selective in who deserves a second chance. And uh, that book is a reminder to me that when I think that all is well, there's still work to, to be done. And it's also a reminder to me to be to, to continue pushing with um, talking about language because the language that we use creates support. It creates or takes away support from policies and policies have, you know, impacts, serious impacts on all of us. So those are two books. The third person is... Um, a woman named Jolene Molitoris, and Jolene Molitoris uh, worked 
in uh, Bill Clinton's administration both times. She ran the U.S. Uh, Railroad Administration. And also, if you've ever rode the Acela train, the high-speed train, she's responsible for that. So I worked for Jolene. Uh, she was Governor Strickland's Secretary of Transportation, and I worked for her as a lobbyist, actually. And, uh, and so she's a huge inspiration to me, and my daughter is actually named after her, Maya oh, Jolene. Wow, that's very cool. And I love those different examples really across the spectrum. And just a quick anecdote. So one of my earlier podcast guests, Chris Redlitz, he's the founder of Transmedia Capital. He runs a program called Last Mile. It's out of San Quentin, and they're teaching uh, inmates, folks that are incarcerated. I don't know what the I'm, – I'm being mindful of my language now uh, – to, to program. And so that when they come out, they actually have marketable skills. And I'm also good friends with – I went to Georgetown here, and we're in D.C. right now. Um, worked at this the Georgetown Law School, and a guy named Justin Brooks, who works for a, uh, a program called Exonerate. It was part of the Innocence Project and sort of, you know, analogous to that. Similar to, to, yeah. to Brian Stevenson's yeah. group. Yeah. So, you know, we'll probably have to connect the, the circle, and maybe they already know each other. Um, moving away from a very serious and heavy but important topic to something a little lighter that I like to ask all my guests, uh, I do like to go down the – you're on a desert island – you can pick one album, ideally not a greatest hits, although I let people cheat. Uh, and you can listen to that sort of forever. Doesn't mean it's your favorite album, because sometimes your favorite isn't the one that you'd like to listen to forever. Which album would that be, and um, why would you pick it? And I can only pick one? People have picked more than one. I encourage one, but feel free to okay. share beyond that if you'd like. Um, so, so Brandy, I would pick her album, Human. Um, just, just a plethora of wonderful songs really about us being human and not just being human, but accepting our flaws. So I would pick human. Uh, I love Cheryl Crow. I don't take a road trip unless I have Cheryl, actually, unless I have Brandy as well. And then I think um, anything by, by Whitney Houston. Three excellent choices. <laughs> I hadn't thought of Brandy. Like I haven't had her on the brain much, but certainly Cheryl and uh, Whitney, um, you know, tragedy to lose her so early, but uh, I'll have to go back and recheck out Brandy on my Spotify because uh, I did like her when she first came out and haven't listened to her a ton. Well, anyway, I'm with Jennifer Farmer of the uh, Pico National Network. Um, among many other things, I would say look for her Extraordinary PR, Ordinary Budget uh, book, which is coming out this summer. Right. It's available June 2nd. Pre we're accepting pre-orders now, of course, but it's available this summer. And you can go to JenniferRFarmer.org to pre-order it or Amazon. Excellent. You say that like maybe you've shared that a few times before. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Jennifer. Thanks for having me, Aaron. And so this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group, host of the What to Know podcast. And we are here at the... Uh, National Summit on Strategic Communications that Bob Grupp is throwing. So thank you. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.